This program is brought to you by Stanford University. Please visit us at stanford.edu. The Clayman Institute for Gender Research at Stanford University, creating a more equal society for women and men through data-driven research and public education. It's a great pleasure to welcome you here today. We have people from Texas, we have people from the Czech Republic, we have people from Sweden, and I'm very pleased that um, all of you, whether you came from two blocks away like me or whether you are from afar, that you've come. I want to start, I'm Londa Schiebinger, the director of the Clayman Institute for Gender Research. Our institute has been going for 30 years, but in the last four years since I became director, we've had a special focus on science, medicine, and technology, very broadly conceived, the cultural aspects, so it takes in um, all of the traditional fields of gender studies and then looks at the fields where gender um, analysis has not made so much progress in science, engineering, and so forth. And I want to start with some thank yous. Apparently it takes a village, a Stanford village, to put on a conference. This conference is generously sponsored by BioX, the Departments of Biology, Chemistry, the School of Earth Sciences, the School of Engineering, the Faculty Women's Forum, the Feminist Studies Program, the Hasso Plattner Institute for Design, the um, Stanford's Office of Science Outreach, the Department of Physics, Stanford Technology Ventures Program, the Woods Institute, and we thank Philip Wong, who is a institute, a faculty affiliate of our institute, who has generously provided us this space. And I think having so many sponsors from so many parts of Stanford indicates the reach of our topic and the interest in this topic now. And I'd also like to thank my staff, I guess they're still out in the hallway, Michelle Kale, whom many of you interacted with, Jane Gruber-Chevalier, and Jeanette Jenkins. This conference focuses on what you always wanted to know about gender analysis but were afraid to ask. So what do I mean by gendered innovations in science, medicine, and technology? And why do I think this topic is so extraordinarily important? Now you will note that this conference is number two. We held a conference in 2005 on the same topic. It was sponsored by the um, National Science Foundation and also by um, uh, the Vice Provost's Office for Research here at Stanford. And the results of that conference are in this book. You are seeing the first copy of this book. It will be available, Stanford University Press is coming at 4 o'clock and will be out in the hallway if you're interested in getting it. Um, it, it has gendered innovations in various fields of science and the results of that conference here. So you can read all about it. And just in case you couldn't see that, here is the, except it has more pink than shows up on here. And I'm a pinkophobe, so, um, but it's quite beautiful. It's quite nice. Now you will notice, you know, what do I mean by gendered innovations? You will notice that our t-shirts say, fix the knowledge. And this is really kind of the top level that I'm aiming for. So fix the knowledge is maybe an easy way to think about it. I sort of like gendered innovations. So why is this so important? It's important because we need to change images like this, we know, 
This is a Draw the Scientist contest that was done in the 1980s by school children, and then this is a composite of those drawings. Of course, when they think of, when school children think of scientists, they think of 48% with facial hair, they think of 63% with lab coats, so on and so forth, but they think of 92% as males. Now that's changed somewhat. Here's our gendered innovation, here's our change. Um, I think three of these images are Einstein. So this was a, this was a draw, these are school children now about a decade and a half later. And they are beginning to imagine, when you say the word scientist, they're beginning to imagine females. You'll notice this rather um, anorexic female down here, uh, letter E, and she's outside with flowers. So when pe they don't think of women in like electrical engineering or in um, physics, they're thinking of women somehow in botany or I'm not sure what. Botany was a traditional field for women going way back. But F is also interesting. You can't read F, but it says that this is a person who is ambiguous. Could be a man, could be a woman, could be any color, which is interesting. Um, so we're looking for these kinds of gendered innovations in participation. Now one problem with the scientists that the school children drew is that they are 96% Caucasian. And this doesn't even, in, in the US, you would expect children to at least understand the high proportions of Asians in science if nobody else. So um, we have a lot to do still on the racial issues and the ethnic issues in science. But we can't stop short with just thinking about issues of participation with just thinking about who does science. We need deeper, harder transformations. And that is in knowledge itself. So let me give you an example of a gendered innovation in um, human evolution. So most of you grew up, certainly I grew up, with this image of the evolution, literally, of man. Women had no position, people who do, did this kind of um, evolutionary theory did not think very much about where women placed, except Darwin, of course, thought that man evolved and then the process of evolution kind of slid over to females somehow. I mean, it's not a very pretty picture. But we, we, we have um, had innovations in this field. Um, in 1993, so quite a while ago, there was a much heralded new image produced to correct the earlier picture, the National, uh, sorry, the American Museum of Natural History in New York opened its Human Biology and Evolution exhibit um, with this image to portray early humans. Um, now, this is still a very stereotypic image, as you can recognize. You have your robust male, and what they've done in this diorama is to embody the footprints that were made 3.5 million years ago of humans fleeing from a volcano um, in, in Latali. Um, and in embodying this, they've done these stereotypic, giant, you know, very robust male. Males aren't even statistically that much larger than females. And he's kind of coddling and helping along, helping his little female flee from the volcano. So we still have work to do, but this is a step in the right direction. The purpose of this conference is to offer concrete examples of gendered innovation in, in knowledge, in science, medicine, and engineering. By gendered innovations, I mean employing gender analysis to spark creativity 
in science, medicine, and engineering. So think of it this way. Scientists or intellectuals of any sort approach a project equipped with knowledge, methods, and equipment, and all sorts of background assumptions. We put on our knowledge and our methods and use our equipment sort of like a pair of eyeglasses. So when you're thinking of starting a new project, you come with all of this stuff in your head. Hopefully you've got something in your head. And we put all of these things on kind of like eyeglasses, and gender analysis adds a further refinement to the prescription in the lenses. So gender analysis doesn't ask you to do away with your methods and your knowledge. It asks you to refine it further. It's a little bit like the optometrist who, for those of you who have eyeglasses, you know, they flip the lens and they say, is this better or is this better? So we would hope that if you add gender analysis to your project, that the lens becomes a little better, that it brings into focus things which you've not seen before and things which you can see better and understand better by adding this as one part of your methodology. Gender analysis is not for women only. It's not attached to one of the chromosomes. Anyone can learn how to do it. But you have to be trained in gender analysis, and this is really where we need to make some progress here at Stanford. We need to put a few weeks or a few lessons about looking at gender in some of the basic science engineering um, courses and courses at the medical school so that um, people can learn how to do it. People tend to think that gender analysis is something you can just pick up from the newspaper. It's like, oh, everybody can understand that. But really, it's quite complicated. And the way that you would actually mobilize it in, say, a physics project or um, a chemistry project takes very deep thought. Gendered in, uh, analysis happens, or th and gendered innovations happen at three very distinct levels. In our working life, these levels are all mushed together and they all influence each other, but I think it's good to tease them apart for purposes of analysis. <clears throat> the first level you're all quite familiar with. We always look at the participation of women and also minorities in science. We've had lots of programs aimed at this issue since the 1970s when the NSF start, first started um, trying to increase the numbers of women and then later minorities in science. These programs typically try to fix the women, actually, to make them more competitive. And they do this in a number of ways. They have over the years, this is just history, they have over the years done this in a number of ways by trying to increase the money for increased funding for women's research, always a good idea. Let's not cut that, but it's not as far as you need to go. They also try to, these kinds of programs, try to teach women to negotiate better for lab space, for salary, for resources. Um, women actually don't ask for as big of grants as men do. So in general, this kind of approach tries to uh, Fix the women so that they can succeed in a man's world, but it doesn't do anything to change the world. The second level of analysis, the second kind of topic, is gender in the cultures of science, medicine, and engineering. I didn't type it each time. And this, we could say, is fixing the institutions. Now, change at this level focus on the day-to-day -day cultures of laboratories, universities, corporations, and the kinds of changes that might help, that need to be made to 
so that those institutions will fit the lives of diverse populations and not just the lives of men. If you look at the history of universities, universities developed since the 12th century. And of course they would fit men's lives because those have been the people involved in universities. Women came into universities a little bit in the late 19th century and a lot since the 1970s. And so we need to change the institutions to fit newcomers' lives. The third level, of course, is what I'm interested in, and that it, but you can't do any of these in isolation, and that is gender in the knowledge to fix the knowledge. Changes at this level explore how gender analysis, when turned to science, medicine, and engineering, can profoundly enhance human knowledge. It's adding that extra something to a research project. So it is my view that gender analysis, when applied rigorously, you have to be trained, and creatively, so whoever's doing the research, it always depends on the creativity of the person involved, has the potential to enhance human knowledge and technical systems by sparking new perspectives, new questions, and new priorities for research. Now, over the next two days, conference participants will provide concrete examples of how gender analysis has offered new points of view when treating old questions and also opens up new questions for future research. We have lots of interesting topics and panels, as you can see from our program. The very first um, panel this morning, which we're going to come to very soon, is on gaming and virtual worlds and the role that gender plays in that. We move on then to a panel featuring the gendered knee, which I think is very interesting. And then we have another um, gendered innovation in engineering, and I don't know if we're getting playgrounds or if we're getting dams on the Mississippi River. So whichever one of those we get, you can ask about the other one. <laughs> then at 4 o'clock, we have a panel um, looking at women and gender in the future of science, and I'm very pleased um, that we have a lot of our institute faculty research um, fellows who are participating on that panel. Tomorrow we have a panel on um, gender issues in, in, in the environment, and I'm very much hoping that we can work more with the Woods Institute, which is a co-sponsor of this um, program today, in looking at gender issues when we're looking at sustainability and conservation and different issues. And then finally tomorrow um, afternoon we have a session on commercialization of science and gendered issues in Silicon Valley entrepreneurial culture. It's very interesting that Silicon Valley, which surrounds us here, I guess of which we are part, is one of the most progressive, I think, forward-looking places in the world, I feel, but it suffers um, by having only about 4% women who have companies. Um, and I think it's very interesting how women or how gender issues play into the commercialization of science and technology. These technologies that come out of Silicon Valley certainly do shape our lives, and they could make us live differently if um, a more diverse population were involved in their creation. So please do sit on the edges of your chairs and enjoy. We've built in time for discussion, and this um, 
conference is being videotaped. You will see the videotape in the back. So for discussion, we have microphones so that it can be recorded. It's available then for anyone, publicly accessible, on Stanford on iTunes. So in each session will be separate so you can tune in um, particularly to the session you want. I'm hoping to use some of these sessions in my classes in the future. The preceding program is copyrighted by Stanford University. Please visit us at stanford.edu.